Hello and welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden. And I am Audra. All right, I'm home for spring break, so we're in the same room. We are. We're staring right at each other. Yeah. So basically, spring break started for me, what day is it today? Monday? It started on Friday. You came home it. yesterday. Traffic was awful. There was a car accident somewhere near Calabasas, and it took me an extra hour and a half, basically, to drive home, which is awful. And you slept all day today. I slept all literally all day today. I usually never take naps, and I usually never like lay in my bed because in our dorms we have bunk beds, or like a lo- what's it called a loft when it's like your desk is underneath. Yeah, your desk is under your bunk bed. You can't even sit up in your own bed. Yeah, so I usually like you like when I'm here. I just chill in my bed all day and I don't do anything ever because I'm a musician. But at college, I, I just don't want to climb up to my bed. So I just never go up there. And so having an enormous bed with all these pillows and blankets and everything. And it's just like right on the ground and you can just kind of like hop into bed. I just took advantage of that today and I've been sleeping all day. It's like old times. And I'm still tired. You know what else is like old times? Having all your laundry here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I brought. I always, <laughs> when I know I'm coming home, I always don't do any of my laundry, and then I'll save it all. So I'll have all of my d- clothes are dirty, every single piece of clothes I own, and then I put them in big laundry baskets, put them in my car, drive them here, and immediately start doing laundry when I get here. Everyone does that. Yeah. How do kids that like have to fly home? They can't take their all their laundry home. I don't know, but I'm glad that I was lazy and just decided <laughs> to go to school like a few hours away, <laughs> because I couldn't imagine flying home. That's not being lazy. You just got lucky that you're. Only went to LA. We're in the best state, the worst city, <laughs> slash best city. You love LA. I do. I love LA. I love LA. I He's love the guy LA. that did that song that's like the from Toy Story. He did all the Toy Story music. Oh, it's going to. Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. It's funny because he's an actor. <laughs> you? It's weird to have you sitting here because I feel uncomfortable. Really? <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna say some some something dumb. Last time like, cause we now we're just actually having a normal conversation. Last time we recorded face to face, it was our first time, and I think I swore the entire time. Right. Because I was nervous, and I had like major potty mouth. <laughs> Sorry, Nana. Oh, Nana. Okay, so. I also just ate six Hershey's Kisses while we were setting up our audio stuff. I know. You know what else I miss is your fruit snack mm. and, and Hershey Kiss wrappers. You I think find. I might have a I might have a problem because I got home yesterday. And those little, what are they, Welch's mixed berry mm-hmm. fruit snacks? I ate eight of them yesterday. And I that's know. straight up. I, I just immediately I, went to the pantry, I ate eight of them. I and then I you. left the wrappers everywhere. You do. God. Yeah. I got to get You're, my life together. You, know you have that messy roommate at school? Yeah. You're my messy roommate. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you have that messy roommate. It's karma. Yeah, but also, this is a legit house, and I can just go outside. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't too. smell I'm just bad. I go outside and not clean up after you. Yeah. Okay. So do you know what we're talking about today? Because this is a this is a two-parter probably. Yes, this is absolutely a two-parter. Right. It's been a lot of research. And I'm not sure how much you know because a lot of it I know a lot about. Um, some of it I didn't know any about. So, so today we're going to talk about <laughs> the Topanga Canyon area. Mm-hmm. Do you know where Topanga Canyon is? I do. I drove by it. And we're going to talk specifically about kind of the 60s but we're going to focus on the relationship that charles manson the convicted multiple murderer musician first murderer second yes we're going to talk about his music background right and more and the and the music people that he hung out with namely 
Dennis Wilson before the, the famous Manson murders. And if anybody wants, we're going to kind of touch a little bit on that briefly. But if anybody wants to dive deep into that, there's a gazillion podcasts, I'm sure, on all the specifics of that, um, which is fascinating and horrifying. Um, but we're going to try to talk mostly about what Topanga Canyon is to the LA area and that specific time in the 60s and the kind of relationship between Dennis Wilson, who was a very famous popular band, the Beach Boys that he was in and started, and then um, how he met Charlie Manson and kind of that took Charles. a turn. Charlie Manson. Some people call him, you know, his friends call him Charlie. <laughs> You're good friends with him. Well, you his know. close friends call him Charlie. I think I know way too much about him at this point that I can call him Charlie. All or, right. or a shitbag. Whatever. Call Watch your potty mouth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think if I have a potty mouth, I can absolutely be for Charlie Manson, Charles Manson. Yes. Okay. So, Topeka Canyon is in the Santa Monica Mountains. And it's basically between Santa Monica, Malibu, beach areas, up towards getting towards the 101. Mm-hmm. And there's a Topanga State Park there. Um, very pretty. It's very pretty. Yes. And it's always, if you ask anybody in LA right now, they'd probably say like, oh, it's a hippy dippy kind of area. Old hippies live there. And oh, we're going to find well, out I, why. Didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Mm-mm. I thought um, it was like rich area. Well, very bougie. Um, bougie. No, it's probably the opposite of bougie. It's. Well, it's, I mean, there's some pretty bougie houses there. Yeah, Especially probably. Calabasas is right by the 101 north but of that yeah, and that's on top so when you go pat you would oh go you're saying that side of the mountain that's like the beach side yes oh. so then you would go on the other side of the 101 which is where calabasas and okay. hills and all that and yes that's bougie for sure okay um so the word topanga means above or the a place above which goes back to the tongva tribe that we talked about laurel canyon you know that settled in like the la area mm-hmm and then the Chumash tribes were also in that area. So the Tongva tribes were like kind of south of L.A., L.A., the Laurel Canyon area, out to Santa Monica. And then that kind of butted up against the Chumash tribe, which went from like Malibu up through where we are in Santa Barbara County north. I didn't realize that the Chumash tribe was that big. Yes. Huge. Wow. Because they, they were all Chumash, but they had little pockets of nomadic kind of families and stuff that moved within you know the area right um blah 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 i just talked about that sorry i lost my place because i'm staring at aiden which is weird okay so and obviously they inhabited you know both those tribes and those people inhabited that area for thousands of years and the topanga creek which kind of comes through topanga canyon um was very important to the tribes and it because there's a lot of steelhead trout that spawn in that area um this, there's steep hills and cliffs throughout most of Topanga Canyon, which is basically makes it unusable except for like animal grazing. And then there's these like flat areas on top where they would grow some crops, but that's kind of few and far between. And then the lower Topanga Canyon where the creek would kind of wash out into the beach area down into the ocean was very sacred specifically to the Chumash people because it was a place where all the tribes along the whole coast would meet. And they would do, like, trading, and they would have economic situations, and they would also have, like, community kind of uh, gatherings and stuff there. And in the early 1900s, there was um, a Japanese fishing village was there, obviously, because of the trout. And then 
in the twenties, which we talked about kind of in the, in the Laurel Canyon episode, when everybody was in LA and wanting to get out of like the smoggy, gross area, and they were all kind of going to Laurel Canyon to get kind of country air, you know, and and get out in the country, which would they consider the country. Even more people were kind of going to, towards the beach area out west to get it out of the town. And one of those um, people that moved out there that kind of bought up some land, his name was Oscar Trippett Sr., and he bought a large part of the canyon area and built summer cabins along the creek. Um, and his family owned that area. Him and his descendants owned that area until about 1963 when it was sold to a developer and was later turned into the Topanga Canyon State Park. And that state park, from what I understand, is one of the largest um, state parks surrounded by a city, um, probably besides, like, in the, in the state at least. Just but in California or in I think in California, but US. also maybe, like, I know Central Park's huge too, and that's surrounded by New York, but... Well, that no, Central Park's not even nearly as big, though, is it? I don't know. Good because, question. I mean, if you look at a map of L.A., and that little you know, Santa Monica, and then you have like West Hollywood, and that whole thing that kind of like the Beverly, what is it, Beverly Glen is mm-hmm, right Beverly to the right Glen's of that. Like right. that whole patch of of land right there is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's huge. It's huge. I should have and there's like maybe a lot written of, down how many acres it is. But there's it, a lot of stuff around it too. But So the park opened in 1974. Um and there's an article that I was reading in the LA Times uh, that was dated September 11th, 1966. They said the LA Athletic Club, which was founded in 1880 and it was a very wealthy um, LA club for all the top LA people of the time and families of the time to get fit because exercise was a big deal, apparently back in the 1880s. Um, and it was a membership only thing. They joined um, ownership of the land before World War One with a title insurance company um, that was also in cahoots with oh, William Randolph Hearst. And they bought, so basically back in the day in like the, I don't know, early 1900s or something, you know, you know, the Hearst Castle up past like San Luis Obispo. Have you ever been to Hearst Castle? Yeah, we all went. Okay. Yeah. He owned a ton of land because he was a gazillionaire. And he obviously went into, um, with his insurance company, he obviously bought up a ton of land throughout like Santa Monica and the, in the Topanga Canyon area. And um, then around like before World War I, uh, he went in kind of partnership with the LA um, Athletic Club. Uh, and, and then eventually they sold it all off to the LA athletic club in that area. And they owned a huge part of it. And I don't think they really ha- could develop it yet, or they didn't really know what to do with it yet. They just wanted to own the property eventually building like an athletic area out there because this club in LA, they ended up building like one of the first swimming pools in out Los Angeles. Um, it, it had like the one of the first basketball associations was out there. So they were really into this fitness thing. And it sounded like they just kind of bought up all this land thinking that they were going to build stuff out West because that's where people were going to kind of get healthy, you know, with the asthma and all this kind of stuff that they were talking about back in, you know, the day to get away from the smog. But they didn't sound like they really did anything, but to keep the property, they kind of 
rented it out to people like business owners and homeowners for a very, very cheap price, which brought in this kind of bohemian hippie type of lifestyle because the rent was so cheap. So even back then when LA was super expensive, even people that were trying to get away from the LA area and be in the area, but in this beautiful place and kind of secluded and, and have a healthy lifestyle. Um, it was a cheap place to go for people who were just trying to be, you know, naturists and stuff. And this kind of all accumulated to having some very interesting things happening in the canyon, namely a music, you know, situation, nudist camps, and then ultimately cults. So a famous site in the canyon for many years was the Elysium Institute, better known as the Elysium Fields, which is named after a Greek afterlife playground. And it was a nudist club for 30 years. It was founded by the famous photographer Ed Lang, who was a nudist and obviously a nudist advocate. And after surviving some extended battles with LA County officials, the property was sold in 2002 um, by the founders and eventually closed. Bummer. Buzz kills. <laughs> right? And then there was another nudist colony called the Sandstone Foundation for Community Systems Research, Inc., <laughs> which doesn't sound chill, <laughs> but I'll tell you why in a second. Or, as people referred to it, a sandstone retreat, um, which is more chill. And that was um, opened by John and Barbara Williams. um, And they were swingers, and it was obviously a nudist retreat. So the Elysium field was more kind of what you think of like a nudist calling now. Kind of like people doing a spa thing and they might be sitting around having a glass of wine and there might be like more mature people there and then the sandstone retreat was more like swingers and hey there's a whole area over here where we can all like chill out and so there was the sophisticated people and then the fun people right the boring and the fun right pretty much (laughs) so if you're wondering and mom's disappointed and i'm uncomfortable okay so if you're (laughs) If you're wondering about the technical sounding name of the Sandstone Foundation for, I'm researching nude people. I don't really understand the name of that. Um, John was a Lockheed aircraft engineer and project manager. That's dope. So, so I think he was like his engineer mind made this like nudist retreat a very like technical sounding place to go. Yeah. Um, and they sold the resort in 1973, but at its height, it drew some a ton of celebrities and a bunch of writers. Um. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book Joy of Sex. No, Mom, I haven't. Nope. That book sounds disgusting. Yep. The writer. Abstinence, Mom. Spent time there. Um, and interestingly enough, a bunch of guys from the Rand Corporation. What's that? Um, it's kind of like a research and analysis corporation, if I'm remembering my scientific defense brain. Mm, I don't know. Um, there was something with Pentagon files. I don't know. Government stuff. Not me, but basically these engineer, very smart people were obviously getting freaky at the nudist colony, was my point. This is weird. It's like nerds. <laughs> I don't even want to go into nerds it. Naked retreat. nerds retreat. Good for nerds. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Good for nerds. <laughs> then there's the Topanga Corral, which was a nightclub settled really deep into the canyon and it featured an eclectic mix of performers, including the Topanga local band, very popular, named Canned Heat, who had a huge hit called Going Up the Country. Um, the band Spirit, whose estate, if you remember, 
sued Led Zeppelin a few years back, saying that their instrumental song Taurus was stolen and, and turned into Stairway to Heaven. Oh, I didn't Remember know that? about that. So we're going to play for you right now um, the Canned Heat song, Going Up the Country. Aiden's mm-hmm. got that queued up. And right now, get sued. Cool. actually been listening to that song over and over again <laughs> it's so i don't know what about it is that weird flute melody thing and then the dude voice coming he's just like da, 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 yeah. it's just fun to listen to it is fun yeah i don't know why i was listening to it this morning and i was making breakfast because i dig it it's a fun song it is fun so we're not going to play taurus or stairway to heaven because redundant but <laughs> and um, we'll get mass sued by led zeppelin they, you know led zeppelin won but you can clearly hear the artistic license that they took. No, yeah, Led Zeppelin. That's they're Led like Zeppelin, notorious. Well, I mean, they're Zeppelin, the greatest cover band of all time. Yeah, and Led Zeppelin opened for Spirit when they were starting out. Yeah, it's literally like, who's the dude that Joe Rogan outed for comedy, like stealing people's jokes? Uh, Carlos Mencia. Char- uh, Car- yeah, Carlos Mencia. Carlos Men- like the people he would steal <laughs> jokes from the people that opened for him, like didn't care. It's basically yeah. like that. Okay. Super crappy. Yeah, but you know, my high school prom theme was Stairway to Heaven, as everybody else's was. Was it really? 1991. Yep. Lame, lame, lame. Why wasn't it something edgier? Um, it was the 90s. I feel like that's like such a 70, late 70s thing to have. Yeah, but in 91, it was like, we weren't quite grunge, so we were- You were all R&B well, and like pop. Your high school high, your high school had to approve it. I don't know. Lame. I don't know. I don't want to get into it because it's going to depress me. <laughs> Hated okay. prom. Okay, so. I didn't go. The other, yes, you did. No, I didn't. I literally, did. you grounded me. I didn't go to prom. Oh, that's right. You did get grounded. <laughs> yeah. I got grounded. I did not go to prom. Okay, let's not tell people why you got grounded for prom. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember why I got grounded for prom. Probably probably a legitimate reason, though. It was heroin. Oh. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Throw back to 91 okay. with my heroin. So uh, the other Canyon bands that were popular at the time were Little Feet, <laughs> F-E-A-T, not oh. Little Baby sorry, Feet, sorry. Taj Mahal, Emmylou Harris, and Etta James. Jim Morrison of The Doors was inspired to write the song Roadhouse Blues while he was driving up, to, driving up through Topanga Canyon to go to the Corral nightclub. And Neil Young, who began his solo career in the canyon, um, rehearsed his song from After the Gold Rush in the basement of his Topanga Canyon home. I love that. Uh, He was also briefly befriended a new resident in the canyon in 1968, namely Charles Manson. Uh, Neil was intrigued by Charlie, because they're buds, saying, nope, Neil called him Charlie. Okay. Saying he was, quote, a little uptight, a little too intense, frustrated artist, end quote. 
Young said Charlie was not so much a songwriter, but a, quote, song spewer. He said he never sang the same song twice, and he would go for, like, three or four minutes just making up the song, but he, like, dug it totally. Thought it was cool. Young thought he was talented, and at the time, says most musicians at the time in the area thought he was also, but, of course, now wouldn't admit it looking back. So, you know, Neil Young is the only one that was like, dude, he was cool. It was cool. We were all doing the same stuff. We all had tons of girls. It wasn't weird. Everybody was doing drugs. We we're all making music and digging it. And I'm the first to admit, like, we didn't know he was going to be a crazy person. So yeah, what's the problem? Great. Um. So, what I just say? Blah blah blah. Um, Neil Young liked Charles Manson. Thought he was talented. Yeah, thanks. It's hard to like look at my script and then look at you way over there, especially when you're blind. <laughs> I have my glasses on. So Young said. Um, on his he wrote a song basically about manson on his 1974 album on the beach which did not make david crosby going back to crosby shout out to crosby happy because i think crosby like maybe played guitar on the song from what i was kind of getting the song is called revolution blues and the quote in it specifically about manson i think that upset people um goes I hear that Laurel Canyon is full of famous stars, but I hate them worse than lepers, and I'll kill them in their cars. That's a line from a Neil Young song about Charles, Charles Manson. Manson. So that we play David Crosby didn't like. Right. But David Crosby played on it, but he wasn't psyched about it. So, basically, you heard in Topeka Canyon, there's a blues influence kind of going through. So, Jim Morrison wrote Roadhouse Blues, Neil Young wrote revolution blues and as you'll come to find later on charles manson was kind of a blues guy as well so it was kind of a blues thing going on up in the canyon so this is revolution blues by neil young There you go. That's right. Revolution Blues. Not my favorite song. I'll just put it out there. And then I'm going to play you a little bit of The Doors' Roadhouse Blues just to get you a little flavor of the canyon music. So here's Roadhouse Blues. Oh, yeah.
love that song. It's a cool song. You can see how he would absolutely have written that going up a canyon. Yep. Keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel, man. Because there's lots of windy roads and it's Don't dangerous crash to drive. In the canyon. Without looking at the road. That's right. Okay. So for his part, Manson said in 1995 in an interview from prison in California, obviously, that all his old musician friend, quote, didn't give a shit except for Neil Young, who once gave him a motorcycle. Hmm. Yeah. When uh, Young's biographer, whose name was McDonough, McDonough? Sorry, Jenna. Jenna's always mad at me that I pronounce things wrong. I've been doing so good so far. M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H. He wrote uh, the Neil Young biography, Shaky. And then this is where I got some of these quotes coming up. Um, Young said upon learning that, you know, Manson obviously liked him and didn't murder him, I guess, was, quote, so Charlie remembers me too, huh? Everybody else ripped him off. I gave him a motorcycle. I turned out to be the good guy. Okay. There you go. So, okay. Let me give you some cliff notes on Charles Manson, since you don't know. Let, let me give, let, why don't you tell me what you know? I know. That he, didn't he, like, he just murdered a bunch of people? That's pretty much it. Okay. Nah, kind of. <laughs> Do you think he actually physically murdered people? I'm just curious. Yes. I also have seen the videos of him when he's, like, in prison or whatever just or like going, getting interview get, yeah. when he's just like literally completely insane right I've and seen he's those. got the swashka well, sh- swastika on his head the swastika this i can't even say that word <laughs> what a horrible word i can't even pr- see i'm so pure i can't even pronounce <laughs> you it. can't even though swastika <laughs> is literally just a symbol continue okay well he, but people made it into a bad thing yeah okay so let me give you the cliff notes here swastika that led charles manson to la he was born in ohio and his name already off to a bad start just kidding ohio (laughs) (laughs) love you ohio uh he was born his name was quote no name maddox what that's his his actual name he did not have a name his his mom's last name was maddox that was her maiden name and he didn't have a name for the first couple weeks so he was no name maddox um his mom was supposedly according to charlie a prostitute which i kind of have an issue with because i'm not sure that that's actually accurate um, she was an alcoholic. Yes, she married a few times. Yes, she may have gotten drunk with a couple of dudes and tried to take their money. Yes, I, but I would say she's more of a thief than maybe a prostitute. I don't know, or sex worker that we call him now. Um, but that was his word, not mine, and that's what he called her throughout his life. Uh, Charlie told everyone that um, you know, uh, that's what she was, and he was actually sounded kind of like he was proud of her for. It. He loved his mother, by the way. No, there's no hate there. He adored her, even though she was not a great mom. Um, she named him Charles after a few weeks, and he didn't know his biological father at all. Supposedly, he was a local con, con artist named C- Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. Um, and this guy told people he was an actual colonel, but it was actually his birth name. So he was never a colonel. So hence the con conning part. Um, but before Charles was actually born, his mom married another man named William Manson, which is where Charlie got his last name. And they divorced three years later. His mom was an alcoholic, as I said, and she left, uh, Charles with a lot of sitters for long periods of times while she would go out drinking, um, usually with her brother who kind of helped her rob people. It sounded like 
clearly they didn't have the best childhood and best bringing up either. So it's a pattern here. Um, she went to prison for robbery for five years. And at that point, Charles went to go live with his aunt and uncle, which sounded like he was kind of an abusive atmosphere. And when she got out, they reunited and he was absolutely thrilled. He said it was the best day of his life. And she, she sobered up. She started going to AA and she remarried. Um, but at that point, Charles had already started stealing and was very hard to deal with. Shocking. I mean, can you blame the kid? Um, and was on a kind of a bad path and she didn't really want to deal with him. So she basically put him in a boy's home or a boy's school. And at the time back then, those boy's schools were worse than prison. Um, he ran away. And she, and he came back to his mom and she didn't want him. She's like, I can't deal with you. You have to go back. And she returned him back to the boys school. He was violently sexually and physically abused at those homes. He ran away again and lived on his own and supported himself by stealing. So he basically was a thief from the get go um, and kind of didn't have a choice, to be honest. He spent, well, I mean, he had a choice, but his upbringing led him to stealing and surviving the best way he knew how it sounded like through what he'd been through. He'd spent the rest of his life in and out of prison at that point. Um, in 1967, while serving time for being a pimp and taking a 16-year-old across the state line uh, for prostitution, uh, Charlie was taught guitar by a notorious gangster called Alvin Creepy Carpus. Creepy was his nickname. Uh, he was actually the leader of the Baker Carpus gang and he was pretty infamous the fbi gave four men the title of public enemy number one have you ever heard public of like public enemy number one carpus mm -hmm. was one of them and he was the only one taken alive the other three were john dillinger pretty boy floyd and babyface nelson obviously three extremely famous gangsters Carpus uh, met Manson at the McNeil Island Penitentiary in Washington State after Alcatraz was closed. So Carpus was in Alcatraz for a very long time. And Manson had asked him to teach him how to play guitar, uh, saying he was going to be bigger than the Beatles. So even in jail before he even went on this whole thing with L.A. and the girls and the Manson family, he was obsessed with the Beatles, um, which later play comes into play during the Manson murders. Uh Carpus thought he was, you know, not that much. He didn't think of him that much. He called him Little Charlie. He said he was, quote, lazy and shiftless, um, and he doubted that he could really put in the time to learn the guitar, so he didn't really have that much faith in, faith in him, but he said that he had a pleasant voice and a pleasant personality. Um, when Charlie got out, he went to San Francisco and got a bus full of girls, and headed to L.A. and ended up in the Snake Pit area of Topanga Canyon, which is the lower Topanga Canyon, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, so basically, Charlie, when he, when he was, you know, in and out of prison at that time, he was always robbing places. And then he got into prostitution, you know, being a pimp and into prostitution um, because he knew that that's where he could make money. And he had met somebody who had taught him kind of the ropes of that whole thing. Uh, and... Obviously, that's what he kind of carried into this lifestyle in Topanga Canyon and around the L.A. area. He always had a, he had a way with women. Women were really drawn to him, and they were almost, like, mesmerized by him. So you hear these women. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the videos of these women that, like, went to jail for him, that did the murders for him. So he went to, he went to jail for murdering two people on his own, but the, all the Manson family murders, he wasn't a part of any of them. He basically 
told them go out and do these things and the people went and murdered for him and mostly most of them were women so they were just like entranced by him he had a way with them he claimed to love them it was a whole thing um and so even back then he was just able and he was a small guy i think he was like five four and he like weighed nothing oh really yeah he's a tiny dude not much to look at but he was just obviously women found him charismatic and were drawn to him and and obviously would do anything for him so this snake pit area in Topanga Canyon is in a flood plain area and obviously it got his name for the abundant rattlesnakes in the area and biker gangs, ex-cons, gun runners and drug dealers seem to find their way to this area for one reason or the other or another um, and it was not a safe area clearly. So homes that were kind of built up in the canyon were frequently washed away from their foundations during heavy rains and the broken up homes would settle in the basin of this creek and when things would dry up you know the people that didn't want to pay the low rent i guess in the other areas of topanga kind of settled in these broken down homes and they would take up residency there and so one of these homes was called the spiral staircase which was where charles manson ended up kind of holding up for a while with all his girls they squatted there in 1968 and he started a band called the Milky Way. And according to the youngest uh, Manson family member, Diane Lake, who wrote a book recently um, that I just mentioned she was 14. I don't think so. 14. She was the youngest member at 14. She has a very interesting life. If anybody wants to go read her book, uh, she's got a book. Her name's Diane Lake. And she said referring to the, the the house that they lived in it was quote the wooden house had a spiral staircase on the outside which was the only way to access the upper floor there was no first floor to speak of because years of neglect had left it filled with sand it was nestled into the area people dubbed the snake pit so if you go on youtube there's a ton of people that are trying to actually find the actual location of this spiral staircase house so they have all these like speculation areas around the snake pit area where it could have been because they're like fascinated by it and some think that there's a foundation there that they can see that it might be that and it's left over there's a couple like vw bug bugs back from the 60s that are kind of like buried in the sand now you can only see the tops of them because of all the water that's kind of come through there um so you can find all these areas where they kind of think that they know where it is, but I don't think anybody actually knows exactly where the house was. Um, some people speculate the house used to be William Randolph Hearst's house that he built for Marion Davies, who was his mistress. Um, Hearst's wife refused to divorce him, so he had this very public affair with Marion Davies, who was a you know very famous actress at the time. Uh, I don't think this is true um, he built her a humongous mansion down on santa monica beach and they actually called it the beach house it was a 110 room mansion 110 rooms yes and it is now currently called the annenberg community beach house and it's beautiful i'm gonna look so up pictures of that right now he did not Jesus. need to um build her a, a kind of shit mom's having a <laughs> coughing attack so i'll talk about random things right now so he didn't he did, didn't need to build her like a random canyon house are you okay uh, what yeah. happened did you get dust caught in your throat <coughs> Manson attacked me yeah from the grave is he dead he's mm. dead right yeah yeah okay i'm okay 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 so 
Are you pulling up the house? It's, What's it called? It's um the Annenberg Community Beach House. Okay, well I'm gonna have trouble spelling that. A N N A A N N E N B E R G. I'm gonna um. Okay. All right, I'm pulling up the house right now. It's not. It's obviously not a house. It looks like a hotel. It, it well, it's a yeah, it's a it was a hotel basically. Like it's a hotel now. Um, and even back then it was kind of a, yeah, it was basically a hotel, but they called it the beach house. Okay. Yeah, back then big. they would make these huge mansions and do stuff and make little quaint names like, oh, it's the beach house or it's the, the country house. And they were like, you know, enormous mansions. Right. Okay. So I'm just going to throw it out there that this whole snake pit area, um, that if you remember what I said earlier, this was a, a, a Chumash sacred area, the snake pit area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to say it's, it's clearly they put a curse on this area so all these idiots going in there doing like supposedly there's been satanic worship there Sick. all the biker gangs that were there the drunk gun running you know whatever if you were there between 1960 and 1975 i'm just gonna throw out there i'm just gonna make an assumption you probably have a curse on you <laughs> if you were well. doing something bad okay so mom go, lays down the law go buy some sage and cleanse yourself okay so, there's a story from a musician named Ernie Cap. Or sorry, why did I say Cap? That's dumb. Ernie Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. I do know that a K is silent. Thank you very much. And knife and other things are silent. Okay. He um, he actually toured, ironically, with the Beach Boys um, as their bassist in the early 80s. Uh, he was in Charles Manson's band, um, Milky Way, for a hot minute because the band actually only had one audition and this was in 1967 and there is a website called sunnyvincent77.wordpress.com where i read this uh, interview so sunny vincent interviews uh nap on this website and sunny vincent is a uh new york punk musician and nap and him were at a uh, in a band uh, together at some point as well and he just basically said Ernie has a cool story to tell and I think check that out and you can go kind of read about Ernie's life which was pretty fascinating but um, when he got out of college he went to school in San Diego when he got out of college he was about 20 and he was just learning how to play the guitar and he had a friend up in Topanga Canyon that owned some of the shacks that were kind of in the snake pit area and he said hey this guy Charlie he's looking for a band to start so why don't you come up and audition for him and so he went up there and he played for Charlie and he was super nervous because he was like, there's a ton of bikers around. They were all like flashing these knives and being super threatening. And they were kind of making fun of him. And Charlie was like, back off. He's young. He's new. Give him a chance. He's going to calm down. And he ended up being in the band. And so he said, quote, we learned like eight songs and about half of them were Charlie's. And his songs, you know, were weird. They were kind of old fashioned jazz chords and real meandering progressions that didn't go anywhere, end quote. So that kind of tells you the type of music he was doing at the time in 67. So the Milky Way went up to the corral, um, the little bar up in Topeka Canyon there, and they auditioned um, for the guys there to see if they could get like a gig. And they were totally denied because it was more of a country, you know, atmosphere, like country music atmosphere. And they kind of got turned away. And so Knapp was like, I'm out. And he ended up moving up to Mammoth. 
Um, and then the next time he heard of Charlie Manson, it was on the front of the LA Times newspaper. Wouldn't that be weird? Yep. Um, and when he ended up touring with the Beach Boys in 81, he that's where he heard the story about Dennis Wilson and Charles Manson. So, which at that point, most people had kind of heard of, but he heard of it firsthand. So I'm going to give you a little background on Dennis Wilson, just so you kind of have his background. Because I know you know a little bit about him. Yeah. Right? You love the Beach Boys. I love the Beach Boys. You've met Brian Wilson. Met Brian Wilson. And, and we could uh, do a whole other podcast about Brian, which we will do. Yeah, which we um, But should. he's a separate entity of his own um, powerhouse. So the Wilson brothers, which is Brian, the oldest, Dennis in the middle, and Carl was the youngest. They were born in Hawthorne, California, which is south of L.A., kind of about five miles from the beach, um, over by the airport. If you're, It's basically right where I was born. You were born in Torrance, yes. Yeah. So it's kind of, that's even a little more south. Um, so it's like right around the area, but it's a little bit south of the airport, too, of LAX. Um, Murray and Audrey Wilson um, were their parents, and Dennis was the middle child, and his nickname was Dennis the Menace, which was obviously from the old TV show. He was always in trouble. He was considered the neighborhood bully. Everybody knew that. Um, Murray, the dad, was a songwriter himself, and he was their first manager, and he was, he was tough. Nobody really liked him. And the boys um, actually accused him of physical abuse and mental abuse, which is widely publicized. Hmm. Um, Al Jardine, their childhood friend, and which you know eventually became a member of the Beach Boys, said he witnessed a fight between Dennis and Murray in their garage. And Al's dad actually had to go in and break him up because they were kind of We good. also met Al Jardine. Talked mm-hmm. to him. Talked to Al oh, Jardine. You did? Yeah, talked to him for longer than uh, Brian. Oh, cool. Well, there you go. I was right there. Um, Dennis was the surfer of the group. So uh, Carl was afraid of the water, never went to the ocean, and Brian was not interested in the beach or surfing or anything. Surfing wasn't even that big of a deal when they were like kids, actually. It was becoming more popular when they were starting their band. And um, But Dennis was like the one that was drawn to the beach, and his favorite beach was at twenty on 26th Street at, in Manhattan Beach, which is – where you kind of grew up the mm-hmm. first couple of years of your life. Um, he was the ultimate California bo- boy. He had long flowing hair, which he would kind of flip around when he played the drums. He was the teen idol of the band. Um, he got married five times, twice to the same woman. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He loved hot rods, and he was actually in a, you know, part of a secret drag race kind of operation where he went under a fake name and actually won trophies. That nobody oh. really knew about it at the time, but he had a collection of cars and was very proud of his cars. A lot of the cars on the Beach Boy albums are his cars. Oh, really? That they're in, yeah. And their first song that they put out called Surfin', which I'll talk about in a second, they purposely did a, a surf song on one side because it was one of those, like, a single on both sides, and the flip side was about cars. So it was always, like, surf and cars. Yep. Um, so Brian had the tunes, but at the time, he kind of lacked the words to write lyrics for a song. And one day, Dennis came home from the beach and said, hey, surfing's getting really big. You guys should write a song about it. So their first hit was called Surfin', and it came out in 1961. And they mostly sang harmonies because they couldn't quite play their instruments yet. Um, and Dennis actually ended up being self-taught on the drums simply because they needed a drummer. And some of the guys in the band were like, look, if we needed a bass player, he would have taught himself bass. If we needed a piano player, he would have played, you know, played he piano. He was just going to do it either way. He was just going to do whatever they needed. And they brought in a drum set one day and he was just self-taught. Um, so I'm going to play Surfin'. 
It's not surfing USA. Mm -hmm. It's not surfing safari. It's surfing. So you can hear the minimal Beach Boys song. Here you go. Surfing. Can't not have a good time when you're listening to them. <laughs> I like that um, bob dip da da or whatever it is, which is literally <laughs> most of the song, which is kind of funny. <laughs> if you look at the lyrics, that's all it is. Um, but that's a you know classic Beach Boy sound. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's a really cool documentary on the BBC or by the BBC on Dennis Wilson, um, Taylor Hawkins. Uh, the Foo Fighters uh, is in it, and he describes Dennis's drumming style. And he said Dennis was known for like breaking sticks. He was always like, you can see there's certain videos early on of him like breaking a stick, throwing it away, grabbing another one. Um, but the reason he that happened was because the way he was self-taught, he would use his left hand on the on the hi hat instead of crossing over with his right hand. So oh, that's awkward. He wasn't crossing. So his left hand, and I don't know about drums, so here I'm like, whatever. So his left hand was on the hi-hat, and his right hand was on the snare drum, right, instead of crossing it over. That's very weird. So it made everything very heavy, and so he would frequently snap his stick. So he has a very heavy backbeat, is what Taylor says. So, and because of this, so in the early recordings, like on um, Good Vibrations, yeah. Brian, knowing this, brought in um, drummer Hal, Hal Blaine, who just recently died, who was a part of the Wrecking Crew. Uh-huh. Okay, he was a f- famous drummer. And oh, wait, you posted I posted a picture that. of him, yeah. and you can find a clip of him actually playing on the Good Vibrations um, in the in the re- re- studio recordings. And so he would kind of take over in the recording, so they didn't have that like heavy kind of beat. So obviously the Beach Boys band was responsible for the 60s California sound with their themes of like surfing, girls, and hot rods. Literally the best things ever. Yeah. They were, you know, they were like the American Beatles, basically. So the band, um, you know, moving into like the 1966 era and going into a very different style with pet sounds, um, they kind of were getting away from the California theme of everything. And the critics were very cynical of the album, and Dennis was fiercely supporting Brian at this time and his choices, you know, his musical choices moving forward. And Carl was actually as well. They were both very supportive of Brian, and they were always really tight, despite what most people think. I think they obviously had their problems, but, and Dennis and Brian were especially close. Um, Carl was always described as kind of like the quiet kind of glue that held everybody together. He would kind of step in when Dennis or Brian were having like substance abuse problems or, you know, and, and take over the writing or he was the musical. Is he, is he just dead too? He died. In the, yeah. He died in, uh, uh, I want to say the nineties. Oh, he had okay. cancer. He died of cancer. Yeah. Um, 
but he would he stepped in as like musical director from time to time and uh he was always the kind of the constant you know the constant normal yeah you know one whereas dennis was kind of the hothead getting into fights you know and then obviously brian had all the mental illness which i you know believe which you know we can go into in another episode um but he was obviously self-medicating with alcohol and and drugs no hella psychedelics yeah um and sadly, when, um, you know, Brian has lost both his brothers at this point, and one of the, somebody oh, yeah. was interviewing him at one point, and they were like, you know, what do you miss the most about back in the day? And one of the things he said was like, I really miss Dennis. That's adorable and yeah, sad. it was very adorable. Um, so, when um, Brian kind of, after Pet Sounds, and then they had another album that they were trying to do called Smile, which I don't think went out at that point oh it didn't go out maybe not, not then, at that but point I but they definitely it, have an album it went out later sure yeah but um brian kind of withdrew and literally they say took to bed and you can like see him in interviews where he's literally laying in bed he's just like i'm peaced out i'm done who who brian oh so at that point dennis kind of stepped up and started writing songs for the band and his first major song that he wrote, and which ended up being on their 1968 album Friends, which didn't do so great, um, but was this song called Little Bird. Um, and right before this album Friends was put out, the, the band, um, well, half the band, Dennis, Al, and Mike Love, had discovered the teachings of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi which is where the, you know, the guy that the Beatles went to go see in India when they had their kind of like big meditation awakening, you know, and went to India. Um, and the Beatles endorsed him when they came back from India in 1967. So Dennis and Al and Mike took off and like went and practiced and taught um, and studied with the Maharishi, this meditation thing. And they kind of had their turn at that. And so because of that time with him, they decided to do finance a documentary about the Maharishi, and they also decided to go on a tour with him. So they were going to play songs, and then the Maharishi was going to be there. I don't know kind of what the plan was, but... That doesn't really sound interesting. <laughs> there were supposed to be like five cities or five things that they did, but ended up tanking, and they ended up losing $250,000. Sucks. Um, but that kind of sparked in Dennis this whole like, you know, meditation... I need a guru kind of thing, um, which led him to his fateful encounter kind of with Charles Manson. So I'm going to play you uh, Little Bird right now um, from the Friends album. And this is a song that Dennis Wilson wrote. So does that sound more like something like more reggae almost like because you know when you hear it was it sergeant Weird. pepper's album after the beatles went to india that they did probably i mean that's super um so, well sergeant pepper well here's the thing pet sounds was released before sergeant pepper's oh okay so maybe so yeah but it, it, it sounds a little more like i've been influenced by some other kind of yeah thing it sounds different <laughs> 
Well, the, I think the Beatles were getting a little more druggy before Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Um, well, which also, so were the Beach Boys. So, I think we could stop part one there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is we, I think we've been going for about an hour. And we can start back up part two of the meeting of how Dennis Wilson and Charles Manson Perfection. had their bombastic, I'm going to call it the Dennis and Charles is summer long adventures. <laughs> that ended in murder. <laughs> that ended tragically for everyone. All right, cool. Cool. So is that is that all new information to you? Yeah, that was all that was all inf- new information. Okay. Very cool and slightly scary. We can talk more about. I can talk about. I guess like meeting Brian Wilson next time and just more Beach Boys stuff. Because you like more Beach Boys. I do what? Oh, you like you like more Beach Boys and less murder. <laughs> I do like the Beach Boys. Well, sorry, but it's going to get a little murdery that's in okay. part that's two. Okay. That's okay. But that's okay. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. We have. Almost LA podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Almost LA podcast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We have a Almost LA Facebook, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Now we are being told to tell your friends mm-hmm. to listen, and we desperately need. I don't want to sound desperate. We desperately need people to go on iTunes and subscribe, and then most importantly, write a review. We have, yeah, and we have new listeners all over the place, which is kind of weird and cool. Um, Russia was somebody downloaded something in Russia, which was kind of cool. Japan, Australia, England. Shout out to England. Somebody's downloaded a ton just bunch of stuff in England. Sweden. Power of the internet. It's worldwide. It's really cool and slightly scary because I'm <laughs> feel self conscious about it. <laughs> <laughs> but. If you like us, please leave us a review, a nice review. Well, or literally just tell us what we need to do better. Five stars. Or I would prefer like. I would prefer harsh constructive criticism. Mom would prefer a nice review. So give uh, us something in between. Thanks. Well, <laughs> or just hey, make your note to Aiden. Dear <laughs> yeah. Aiden, email me about that one. <laughs> I like to be roasted. But thanks for listening, guys. And part two will be out ASAP tomorrow morning. And thanks. All right. Peace out. Bye.